Hello and welcome to the Business Standard Morning Show. I'm Kanishka Gupta. It's the 30th of January 2024 and here are the questions we will be answering today. Has Adani recovered from the Hindenburg accusations? Can bi-annual boards reduce student stress? Will the interim budget be a non-event for the markets? And what are open cells? It was just over a year ago on the morning of 24th January 2023 when Indian stock markets woke up to a US short sellers report which accused mighty Adani group of stock manipulation and accounting fraud. While the benchmark indices soon recovered from the shock handed over by Hindenburg Research, the conglomerate had a tough time navigating the challenges. So has Adani group recovered from the Hindenburg accusations and what the future looks like for the group? Kasturi Akhil brings you the answer. Amid quarter 3 results season, Adani Group stocks were trading over 7% higher on Monday, 29th of January. The group was also reportedly in talks with a clutch of global private equity firms and local banks to raise about $3 billion over the next few months. This money is likely to be used to expedite the upcoming mega-projects that the conglomerate is working on. Clearly, Gautam Adani means business. He has once again overtaken Mukesh Ambani to become Asia's richest man. But the Indian business tycoon and his empire are still trying to overcome the shock delivered over a year ago by a 106-page report of US short seller Hindenburg Research. It had accused the Adani group of being involved in stock manipulation and circumvention of regulations, among other things. Adani had trashed all the allegations, saying the report was targeted misinformation aimed to damage the group's reputation by vested interests. But over a year on, 7 out of 10 stocks of Adani Group are still trading below the levels seen a year ago. As on January 5, 2024, Adani Ports and Special Economic Zone was up about 50%, Adani Power had soared 89%, Ambuja Cements was up by 6%. But Adani Total Gas was still trading 74% below from year-ago level. Adani Energy Solutions and Adani Wilmar were down 62% and 39%. Adani Enterprises was trading 15% below last year's price. Adani Green Energy, NDTV and ACC were also trading below compared to last year. In contrast, the country's benchmark indices, BSE and NSE, have soared about 20% in 2023. The total market value of all 10 Adani stocks was 19.2 trillion rupees before the Hindenburg storm hit it. Over a year on, as on 25th of January, it is about 14.53 trillion rupees, which is still down about 4.67 trillion rupees. Meanwhile, markets regulator SEBI is still probing the case. The Supreme Court had on 3rd of January refused to transfer the matter to a special investigating team, saying there is no regulatory failure on SEBI's part. A three-judge bench observed that SEBI was conducting a comprehensive investigation and its conduct inspired confidence. SEBI has completed probe into 22 out of 24 investigations, and its report is still under the wraps. The verdict in a way signalled that there will be no additional regulatory risk to the group beyond the SEBI probe. 
The top court also said there was no need for it to order any changes in the country's disclosure norms for offshore funds. Latching on to the court order, Gautam Adani said that truth has prevailed and the group's contribution to India's growth story will continue. But why are some Adani holdings still struggling to attain the pre-Hindenburg glory? Manu Rishi Gupta of MRG Capital tells us. The sectors which in any case had a lot of tailwind from the market perspective, like the Adani power in the ports and, and India's burgeoning economy, rapidly growing economy, provided a tailwind to, the, to these two companies. And unfortunately, the gas, total gas energy solutions and Wilmar have struggled to regain their old prices, primarily because these are very, very capital intensive industries, sectors, and one of the things that Adani might want to do would be to somehow get its FPO, the follow-on public issue, through, and that would instill a lot of confidence. Regardless of some scepticism, the Adani Group is leaving no stone unturned in improving its financial and operational performance. Experts agree the group has been making strategic investments to further its growth and expansion. Its revenues continue to grow, helping it reduce debt and meet financial obligations. The group has brought down its net debt to 2.5 times its annual earnings, compared with 3.3 times before the Hindenburg report. Ramesh Vedanathan of corporate law firm BTG Advaya tells more. So I would say uh, all of these investments are uh, fairly well thought out. And I would even go to the extent, Kosturi, of saying that uh, this setback for Adani has actually been a blessing in disguise. I think it has helped them clean up uh, some of their internal workings and 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 also uh, you know be more transparent in the way they deal with the stakeholders. The Adani Group has in fact unveiled plans to raise more funds through the issuance of bonds. According to data compiled by Bloomberg, as of 19th January, 13 of Adani Group's $15 denominated bonds were above 80 cents on the dollar, a level generally considered as the cutoff for a bond being distressed. Majority were trading higher than the levels touched last year after the report. Last month, rating agencies ICRA and India Ratings had assigned AA-plus ratings to the bond issuances of Adani Ports, citing the company's strong business profile. According to industry observers, what stands out in Adani Group's case is that despite high debt concerns, investors continue to have a sanguine outlook for the group's future because of its huge investments in infrastructure. If your businesses are aligned with the growth sectors of the Indian economy, you just can't go wrong unless uh, someone deliberately sabotages your prospects. Most of the group's assets broadly fall in the infra space and with India's economy expected to grow at a faster pace over the next few years to become the third largest economy by 2030, the group's businesses should do extremely well. Whether the valuations would be justifiable or not is a different question, but there is no doubt about the prospects for this group. So what is the investor sentiment going to be like for the group going forward? At some level, they also realized the importance of communicating with the stakeholders. I think uh, they had not done that mostly. And I think uh, they seem to have probably got that part of the story, right? They've got some very uh, reputed investors on board. Uh, they've managed to, uh, you know, uh, clean up some of the debt uh, part of their books. 
So I would say overall, uh, they've done uh, reasonably well. But if you ask me whether they are uh, completely in the clear and whether uh, investors will uh, blindly trust them moving forward, I think, uh, I think it'll take some more time. The Hindenburg report definitely was a big lesson to corporations, underscoring the importance of maintaining transparency, which Gautam Adani himself acknowledged in a media report, contending that he's under no illusion that this is the end of such attacks. Experts contend that it will take some more time for the group to completely recover from the aftershocks of the report and win back investor confidence. Adani Green's consolidated net profit, meanwhile, more than doubled for the quarter ending December 2023. The Q3 result was announced on Monday. Clearly, things are looking up for the group. Moving on, things are looking up for India's education sector too. The government is restructuring the CBSE board exams for class 10th and 12th. As for the latest framework, board exams will be conducted Twice a year, the aim is to reduce stress caused by the fear of a single opportunity, allowing students the flexibility to decide based on their preparedness. So, can biannual boards reduce student stress? Shivam Tyagi finds out. Academic pressure coupled with social expectations has made stress a part of our lives from the early days of schooling. But school education as we know it is set to change. Students of secondary and higher secondary levels will soon be able to take the board exams twice and will have the option to retain the higher score for subsequent admissions. The multiple board exam system proposed by the National Curriculum Framework aims to alleviate the exam stress experienced by students. The Central Board of Secondary Education or CBSC will organize the board exams twice a year from the academic year 2024-25 and the new curriculum will offer students of standard 11 and 12 the option to choose a range of disciplines including science, arts and commerce. The new rule is in accordance with New Education Policy 2020 and is under the new curriculum framework announced by the Ministry of Education in August 2023. Notably, it is not the first initiative towards reforming board exams. Previous measures such as the Continuous and Comprehensive Evaluation introduced in 2009 was revoked in 2017 and the board reverted to the traditional year-end exam model. So how will this new rule change the school curriculum? October or November is typically the time when you know the children are having their midterm exams or let's say their half-yearly exams. So the pressure to complete the entire syllabus within a shorter period I think that will be more stress for the for the teachers as well. Definitely, this is going to disrupt your academic cycle as well, right? I mean, there's no point starting academic cycle then and in April, which technically starts off. You know, probably it will have to look at that. How do you possibly start a bit early? So can you start in March, in April? Because then you also need to have your, your breaks in between as well, right? Depending on which region are you. So obviously, this would definitely entail a little bit of disruption in the academic cycle, which means that they... There is a possibility that the academic uh, session should begin little in advance so that you get the similar kind of time frame to prepare yourself even for the first you know, attempt. 
The Union Education Minister Dharmendra Pradhan has said that the biannual exams will not be obligatory. It is being introduced as an alternative to mitigate the stress faced by students who worry about having just one chance to perform well in exams. Unfortunately, reports of student suicides after result announcements is not uncommon of late. According to National Crime Records Bureau, 13,089 students died by suicide in 2021. That's a 32.5% jump compared to the 9,905 deaths in 2017. That's nearly 36 student suicides in India every day of 2021. The NCRB data also reveals that of the 1,64,033 people who died by suicide in India in 2021, 10,732 were below the age of 18. Further, around 80% students between class 9 and 12 suffer from anxiety due to exams and results, reveals a survey by NCERT. According to academics in India, two sets of students appear in the senior secondary examinations: one who prepare only for these exams, and the others who at the same time prepare for competitive exams like JEE and NEET. and a section of them believe that the new rule may add pressure for both sets of students with one group potentially experiencing more stress than the other at least when there is only one examination students are feeling that they have prepared for it and they have completed it but when you are spreading this in november one examination and in february march another examination it is also a question that tension you know any test creates tension for the students to anybody so that there is a continuous tension the students will be suffering from that is what i feel so let me repeat what i said that the tension for the jee neet etc will be much higher than the tension for the cbse uh, 12th grade examination students who prepare for competitive exams like jee and neet travel to coaching hubs like kota etc while enrolling in dummy schools in their home states These students appear straight for board examinations often without attending classes. Kota reportedly saw at least 29 suicides in 2023. So will the new rule ease or add to the exam stress among students? What will happen is that there's a, these courses are to be completed by November. Now if the board exams are going to be held in November. So for the general students it's a tremendous pressure too much to study. and too little time when compared with the previous occasion so that pressure will be increasing although there is a relaxation that even if you miss now you can go to the next one as as i mentioned test is a test and it creates tension the students when they are completing how do they decide that whether i should we are here or not say in a, uh, those who are going for jee there is a Mark based on which you can say, say for example, if they have got more than seventy-five percent, they can get admission to IITs or any institutions that they are applying for. So then they can take a decision that no, I will not go for another reset or re-examination. But if you are getting ninety percent and you are not going for any of these examinations, are you satisfied with the ninety percent, or will you again appear for? getting higher score you know so there is no benchmark for them 
it is very difficult unless we ex see the experience for one or two years, we will not be able to predict how the students will behave. The CBSE is yet to announce guidelines for the academic year 2024-25. Experts believe that the impact of biannual exams on students' well-being will only be known once it is implemented. While the move appears progressive, for allowing students an additional chance to enhance their scores, it can also strain the academic system and introduce more stress among students. The ruling party at the centre too will face a crucial test soon as general elections are approaching. But before that, the government led by it will table an interim budget on February 1st. So will upcoming polls in any way influence the proposals of Finance Minister Nirmala Sitharaman? Which sectors are likely to get priority? And what should be your market strategy pre and post interim budget announcements? Puneet Vadva caught up with Andrew Holland, CEO Evendus Capital Public Markets Alternative Strategies on his expectations from the upcoming interim budget. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Puneet Radhwan. Today we have with us Andrew Holland of Avendus Capital Public Market uh, Alternate Strategies with us. Uh, good morning, Andrew, and welcome. Morning, Puneet. Uh, let me start by asking you uh, your expectations from the upcoming budget. See, because it's a, a voted account, then obviously, you know, no, I suppose not expecting any any big decisions, uh, any game changing, uh, you know, uh, kind of deliverables from the budget. So really more of the same, you know, fiscal deficit maybe around that five, five and a half percent is probably what the market's looking for. Um, obviously the government to continues continuous expenditure. Maybe a few new items coming in. Uh, you know, I mean uh, uh, Prime Minister Modi mentioned about solar uh you know people's uh you know people's houses. So maybe there's some push towards uh, making that happen. Uh, but very much uh, towards the same. I mean, keep the PLI going, uh, maybe expand it to a few other sectors. Um, you know, this Make in India for exporting in the future, uh, it, you know, is, is working well. The world likes it. Uh, and we're seeing more and more kind of uh, foreign direct investment or, or interested companies coming to India, not just for the growth of India, but for the potential exports going forward as well. So if, if it's more of the same, that would be great. So any uh, budget math that can actually make the markets unhappy? I think if if uh, the government's expenditure for, for next year uh, was lower than the markets anticipated, because obviously then you're, um, you, you're, you'll be looking at then the private capex to pick up um, you know, and take up the lead from there. So that would be the only thing I think um, would be uh, a little bit more negative in terms of the, the capex cycle. Uh, and obviously for a lot of the industrials, and uh, capital goods players. So that that could be one factor. Um, the other factor I'd probably look at is, um, you know, divestments, um, which they haven't really done so much of, whether that will be uh, that will be, you know, thrown into into next year, given where markets are uh, as a source of revenue. So that could be something that we should uh, we should see on the positive side uh, from the revenue, uh, the revenue part of it. Uh, which other sectors do you think will get the priority and why? So obviously, you know, it's uh, we're still early days in the electronic manufacturing sector, but uh, you know, we are seeing companies move into the semiconductor industry now, um, starting to lay out plans and and uh, and, and starting to build uh, semiconductor plants. So I think you know, if they extend that going forward, uh, I think that's very good news. Uh, maybe they'll continue to do something with uh, electric electric vehicles. 
again, that would be good news for the whole sector. So I think, you know, just I don't think there's anything extra I think the government needs to do. Maybe expand, you know, I think um, a lot of analysts are talking about maybe expand the PLI into chemicals. You know, it's an industry which has uh, been suffering of late. Um, but it's really an extension rather than it is, um, uh, you know, any kind of big bang reforms we're expecting at this point. So how do you want to approach the PSU defense and the manufacturing uh, sectors in this background? So, you know, forget the budget for a second. We talked about this before. Defense spending, uh, renewable energy spending is something that's going to happen globally, not just in India. So that's a that's a that's a long runway we have um, going forward for you know for for this sector. Um, then, of course, is the the this electronic manufacturing sector, which we mentioned with PLI Health. Um, and possibly, you know, other sectors might be involved in that. So, I, again, I, I really think that the PSUs have had a great run um, and uh, I'm a little bit um, wary at the moment, given the, the, the kind of uh, high multiples uh, a lot of these companies are having. So what could be disappointing, and I mentioned it before, would be if the CapEx um, slows down from the government, whether it's in railways or whether it's in roads and bridges and so forth. If that was to slow, that would have, a, I, I think, um, a more negative impact on the capex and industrial companies. Uh, what is a bigger worry for the markets? Uh, global queues in terms of developments, uh, let's say at Red Sea, US-China conflict, and what it means for the oil prices or general elections and market valuations back home? So here's the thing. Let's take some global factors. Um, you know, because if you mentioned the Red Sea and, and you know, the problems there in terms of, uh, you know, oil tankers and, and goods being shipped there, if that leads to the fact that inflation is a little bit more stickier again going forward, particularly for Europe, uh, maybe less, less so in the US, maybe that defers interest rates uh, in terms of the reductions that we were hoping for. And of course, you know, for the RBI, we'd probably wait to see what the rest of the world is doing before jumping first. So if that's delayed from, say, March to June, um, you know, it just means that the cost of funds in, in India remain high. Uh, and of course, that puts pressure on the banks in terms of their NIMS. So that would be something which I would see as a more global negative for India. Um, and of course, if China, um, you know, continues to kind of um, uh, I, I know it's doing some stimulus at the moment, but it's still not shored up the property market. Until that happens, I think emerging market investors will stick away from China, which is not good for flows overall into emerging markets. And that's what we've been seeing uh, up until the, the last few days when China garnered quite a, a, a large amount of, uh, of foreign direct, uh, sorry, of foreign flows into 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 China funds. So, yeah, and that takes it away from India. So I think. Emerging markets will, will, you know, fund investors will be looking at China more uh, as the cues for emerging markets, even with the interest rate cycle, um, you know, looking as though it's going to head uh, head south from here. Thank you, Honor, uh, Andrew, for your time today. We hope to see you soon. Thank you, Pradeep. He's making plans for an early retirement. Business Standard. Budget at times also affects the prices of electronic items like TVs or mobile phones. But the prices of television sets are set to increase for a different reason now. It is because the cost of open cells, an essential component in LED TVs, has been on the rise for a while. But what are these tiny cells and how do they determine TV prices? Abhijit Kumar finds out. 
An open cell in a television refers to the core display component responsible for producing images. It serves as the foundation for manufacturing LED TVs, which have of late reached almost every other household. It consists of liquid crystal display technology, backlighting systems, and other essential components that contribute to the clarity and quality of the visual output. The price of open cells directly affects the overall cost of manufacturing LED TVs. The open cell accounts for 60 to 65% of the production cost of a television. Manufacturers including those in India source open cells from suppliers to assemble television sets. The component is manufactured mostly by four to five companies in China due to which the pricing power remains out of the hands of TV makers. Thus, any increase in the prices of open cells is likely to result in higher production costs for TV manufacturers, leading to a cascading effect on the final retail prices of televisions. According to reports, the price of open cells has risen by 20% since December. The TV manufacturers further expect a hike of 15% by February end this year. This price hike also comes amidst a cut down in production by the open cell manufacturers. In 2020, the government had imposed a 5% customs duty on import of open cells, which was reduced to 2.5% in the FY24 union budget presented in February last year. The dynamics of open cell pricing have a direct impact on the television market in India, with TV manufacturers bracing for a rise in the price of the essential component in making TVs. Indian consumers are bound to feel the pinch of the rising cost. The government's last year move to cut basic customs duty on open cells was also seen as a step towards promoting local manufacturing of television sets. Well, that is all for today. For more news, views, and analysis, please log on to business-standard.com. For more news, views, and updates. Subscribe to Business Standard on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Also follow us on YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.